Well, good afternoon, good evening, uh, all my listeners out there. This is Laura Moe. You've tuned in to the Young Adult Cafe, and we have a gorgeous sunny day here in Seattle. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but we're supposed to have a really nice week. This will make up for our rainy winter. And um, today's guest is Patty Eager, and uh, I am eager to talk to Patty. But let me get my music started, and we will get the show on the road. Well, good afternoon, Patty. Good afternoon, Laura. Yeah, yeah, you live uh, right there in Edmonds, which, of course, you have a, you probably have a nice view of uh, Puget Sound from where you are. I was in Edmonds yesterday. I took a walk along the waterfront. I live kind of in, I guess you'd say, the slums of Edmonds. I'm in Linwood, so, um, <laughs> you know, I can't afford Edmonds, so, you know, I'm, I'm a low-rent writer, but, um, I, you know, I like that I, I'm not that far. I can drive in and take a walk whenever I want. I think I'll be in Edmonds a lot this week, walking along the waterfront. And um, Yes, well, I have a view, but only if I stand on the roof of our house. Oh, okay. Do you have a, <laughs> one of those flat roofs that has a view? or No, we're, we're um, up on top of the hill and then back a little bit toward Linwood. So mm. I have a view of all kinds of trees and I enjoy the drive down into Edmonds where the mountains just are right in front of you with the water. It's, it's encouraging to yeah. see those days. I love I love being able to drive in. There's certain routes I'll take when the weather's nice. It's like I can see more of the water. And, um, yeah, from where I live, I can see the mountains. Um, it has to be super, super clear in order for me to see the water, but it, uh, most of the time it's just the mountains. But, yeah, it's just really, it's a beautiful day, you know. And and guess what? Today is World Book Day. How appropriate is that for me to talk to an author on World Book Day? I didn't know until I logged into Twitter and found out. I thought, oh, oh that's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have planned that better. So, you know, that, that works out really well. Um, <clears throat> You have several books out. Some are young adult, and some are. You're a former teacher, so you also have a series of nonfiction books. For I believe they're they're really more for teachers. Are they more for teachers and kids, or are they a little bit a combination of both? They're for teachers and for people who volunteer in classrooms. They're they're mostly about how to be a volunteer or how to use a volunteer in an elementary through eighth grade classroom. Okay. And you are a former teacher yourself, right? I am. I did. All the things in the book are tested by me and friends of mine. So they all work and they are all easy to do because I like you. Well, yeah, that is awesome because a lot of my listeners are teachers. I have uh, you know teachers, writers. I mean, I do have some uh, teenagers who listen as well. When I... What I think is interesting about your list of books is you have a series about ballet dancers, and you are a former dancer yourself, so you've got inside knowledge. And um, and I know your <clears throat> your latest book, of course, Tasman, is a historical novel. So I'll, I'll I'll let you talk about whichever ones you want. I just want to say I did read. Um, you had sent me Tasman, and you'd also sent me. Letters to Follow, which is a third in a series of your ballet books. What I have to say, though, is I hadn't read your first two, and you did a really good job of catching me up, so I don't feel like I missed a lot from not having read the first two because you developed this character and her her whole story really well, and you introduced enough backstory into the story that I didn't, I, you know, if I decided to go back and read it, read the other two, I might feel slightly clearer, but it didn't matter. I still ended up getting a complete story. So kudos to you on doing that. 
So I appreciate you saying that because that was really my goal. You know, I know that they're supposed to stand alone, and often they do not, but I I really wanted to get to Lynn's story, which I hadn't counted on doing, but I still needed Marta to be there and because they had gone through these experiences together pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one I... Um, now Lynn goes to Europe. Uh, the character is she's what eighteen? She's just out of uh, out of high school, isn't she? Isn't she just out of high school? In between high school and college, or just out of college? Right. No, she just finished high school. Uh, went to Montana where she meets Marta, and the second right. year when Marta has gone back to Bremerton, Lynn is starting to cause trouble. <laughs> in the ballet company and um, she finds this opportunity to go to Europe for the, the summer and takes it as a way to decide what she's going to do with herself. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun to read about these places. Uh, some of the places that she re- that she visits, I've actually been to and I was probably about her age when I was there. Now, are these, these are you and your husband travel a lot. Uh, had you been to some of these places in Europe? Right. I'd been to some of them. In fact, I decided to write Lynn's story when we were traveling because there were so many little towns that I dearly loved in in Portugal and in France, and I thought it would be a great opportunity to, you know, include them in a story. Mm-hmm. So it, partly I've been places. Some of them I've never been to. Well, it's, you know, and it's nice that you include a map in this one because I think Tasman also includes a map. Because you're writing, well, I guess this is considered historical fiction because it takes place in uh, the 50s, I believe. So, you know, it's hard to believe that it's considered historical fiction. It's, uh, you know, 20th century, but um, (laughs) we're in the 21st century, darn it. (laughs) Where did the time go? So, um, yeah, historical fiction always benefits from having maps because, uh, you know, sometimes the names of countries change. Um, you know, none of the countries. Right, and I really appreciate, yeah, I appreciate maps when I read. In fact, if I don't have one and it travels very far, I get out the atlas because I think I'm very visual, and so if I can see the map of where it's located or find pictures of it, it, it really enhances my reading. And I'm, that's what I wanted for the mm-hmm. audience is to have them try to experience some of those places. Well, and, Plus, you have um, oh, there's a few. There are a few illustrations in here, and I think it's also nice because uh, I'm a non-dancer myself, and I appreciated that you included a glossary of some of the terms because you know, as a writer, you don't want to have to stop and explain in dialogue what something is. You're um, you want to you want to make sure the dialogue flows. So it's a good it's good to have that so that if the reader is going, well, what is that? I, I don't understand. Um, you know, what a, uh, put my glasses on and see, like, say, for instance, you know, what is a, well, I know what a plie is, but, you know, like what a tourchete or a jete. Yeah. 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 Or a rond de jambe, you know. So that way, you know, the reader can stop and look that up and then they can get the picture in their head. But it's also good that it expands their world because as writers, isn't that what we do? We're um, we're trying to introduce our readers to a new world, and in young adult fiction, I've I've not come across a lot of books that include ballet. Um, I you know it's I don't know why. I mean I guess because vampires and zombies are kind of a popular <laughs> trope, um, but of course you know we no. still have there are other topics. So I like that you've chosen that. There are quite a few ballet books out there. Some of them are written by retired dancers. And Mm -hmm. a couple of people who reviewed my book were dancers, and I felt good when they could relate to it. So I thought, you know, I I came close to, you know, sharing some of their experiences. And so that was gratifying. But I don't think you have to be a dancer to appreciate a story like that. But it, it helps if you have some of the terminology. Yeah. But now you have had dance experience though, right? Right. I danced from when I was three until I was about 20, but nothing professional. It was just local uh, dance studio. Okay. But it's just, you, but know, it was you have a love for it. 
you know, and it shows as a writer, it does show that you have a real interest in it. And, uh, and you understand characters who kind of like, you know, in this case, Lynn, pretty much she risks a lot to do this whole dancing gig. And, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of misadventures along the way. And, I mean, they're kind of comic, tragic comic, I guess. You know, they're funny and tragic. You know, it, it, you, you, you throw a lot of problems her way. So, um, and you, you, you know, you want to watch her. You want to watch her succeed, but you also kind of like it. As a reader, you want to see, well, what's she going to do next? So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I did. I threw a lot at her, but I, I figured she was the kind of personality that um, she actually thrived on problems, whereas mm-hmm. her, the other character in the first two, Marto, was a little more timid. But Lynn had her yeah. own family problems as well as growing up issues, so hopefully that got across as well. Yeah, her parents were kind of a piece of work. Um, I mean, it's probably why the way Lynn, Lynn was, I mean, Lynn was not a shrinking violet, and maybe she deserved <laughs> some of the things that came her way. So, True. you know, it, she did. It, it's like, yeah, she wasn't always nice. So, but that's okay. But she always you know, knew, the character. Yeah, you always knew where yeah. you stood with her, though. Yeah, yeah. And now your newest book is called Tasman. Um, and explain a little bit about that. I didn't have time to read that one. Um, one of our, um, oh, I think uh, one of our ethic board members, I took it to the last meeting. For my listeners, um, I actually, Patty and I know each other. through we're, in, we're part of a group called Epic Group Writers. Epic means every person is creative. And um, we're board members. And um, so we... We know each other that way, but we don't know each other well. I mean, we know each other more in a professional sense. And um, our our board president wants us all to read each other's books. So, um, <clears throat> but anyway, I passed it along to uh, one of the other board members, and I don't remember who took it. But anyway, <laughs> um, I you know it's a longer book, so I chose the shorter of the two because I'm reading a new I'm reading books you know every week I'm doing these podcasts so. Like, you know, it's like I have to, I can't read more than one book from each writer. <laughs> no, I certainly understand. Um, well, Tasman came about because we took a vacation trip to Australia and then to the island of Tasmania and walked through Port Arthur, the penal colony. That's where the British sent people between 1830 and 1860 um, in part to help open up that part of the world and to also gain control over that away from the French or the Spanish, whoever happened to settle there. But it was also a place where they sent people that they wanted away, and mostly Irish, plus um, there were political prisoners, there were thieves, murderers, people who were falsely accused, like Ian, and uh, they were sent there to work, you know, to uh, build roads, to cut down trees, to be... um, where the money from the proceeds will go back to the crown, things like that. So, yeah, it, it, it hit me really hard, and I had to write about it. So I, I did a lot of research and really enjoyed learning more about some of the things happening during that period in history. Hmm. So, yeah, it's an interesting, because uh, I had known a little bit about Australia, having been a place where, I guess, the British sort of sent their prisoners um, but um, I really right. you know, I don't know much about it. Now, I don't think I think that's another topic that you don't read much about in uh, young adult literature. So, if you lived down in Australia, you would. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but um, not around here. But yeah, there were they had several penal colonies in that part of the world. Um, but this one, um, since I visited, I knew the lay of the land, and I I'd been through the silent prison, and I'd walked into the the convicts' uh, church, and um, you know knew the terrain. I'd been to the island of the dead, so it was it was easy to visualize because I'm I'm pretty visual, um, and mm-hmm. I I like the idea of a story about someplace like that that I visited. Right, and you probably had to do some research on how much the area has changed and you know since this takes place in 1850 
us. And right. It's probably changed a little bit. Was it 130 years? My math isn't good, but I think that might be right. But uh, Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's changed, well, but I mean, this, the site happened. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So the area where this takes place, um, it, well, they don't, they no longer send prisoners, but it's, it's sort of a museum at this point. I mean, it's a, they, they've kind of commemorated the history of it. Yes. Um, it's okay. an historical site. It's at the southern tip of Tasmania, um, south even of Hobart. It's on a small peninsula. Okay. And, and I have uh, friends in Hobart. They're from Ohio, but they oh. live in Hobart. And I've got an open invitation to visit. It's a long flight. It's like that, that 22 hours of flight. <laughs> it's a very long flight over water the whole way. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I can swim, so I, you know, I don't mind flying over water. But, uh, well, I'm going to open this up to callers if you want. So, if any of our listeners would like to call and ask Patty a question, or if you've read one of Patty's many books and you'd like to make a comment, or you know, just say hi to hi to her, go go ahead and call in at three four seven eight eight four eight two six six. I'm talking with Patty Eager, and. Um, we are talking about her young adult novel and um, some of the ideas that she gets from that. So with uh, Tasman, <clears throat> you recently did a reading at the Edmonds Bookshop. And um, what are some of the questions that people ask you about that book? Well, actually, I didn't do a reading because it was a, it was Art Walk Thursday evening and people oh. come and go. So yeah. I made up a game. It's called Prisoner's Fate, and I had people come in, and, and I gave them, they had to roll the die, and they left from uh, England and went on the ship, and then they went to Port Arthur, and, and each time they rolled, they, they picked a situation that many of them happened within the story. So it was, it was a way I could introduce the story to them in just like, you know, about two minutes. So it was not a presentation wow. of sorts. But that's a great, well, like that's a great tool. You know, there's, there's the teacher in you because teachers know how to take them, you know, like they have, okay, we have two free minutes before the bell rings. What can we do? And, uh, you know, so that's a great way of um, kind of marketing your book and giving them a little bit of the experience of what the book might entail. So it's uh, sort of a where in the world is uh, Carmen San Diego's <laughs> Oregon Trail type of uh, type of exactly. There. Yeah, I, I actually oh. decided I I've rewritten my game now, and I, when I do my next two book talks, one at third place in Lake Forest Park in Washington, and the other at University Bookstore in Mill Creek, Washington. And so we're gonna okay. I'm do the same kind of thing, but I had to rewrite it so that people could be sitting there and we could talk at the same time. So right. Well, those will like be more games. traditional. Those will be more yes. traditional readings than than the art walk. Right. So, I have to say one thing about this area is we do support writers. I mean, it. I've done several book events, and people show up, and you know, it's not always just your friends. People like to come no. and listen to writers. So, right, and I've actually made new friends just by doing book talks by people who've come in and then they've contacted my, me through my website or I've mm-hmm. met them for tea or coffee. And it's really nice to get to know people outside your usual circles. Yeah, that's true. You know, because most of my, well, most of the friends I've made here are writers. Um, they're writers or people I've met through book clubs, so they're readers. I guess our common the common bond we have is uh is books. So you know. But uh now you recently came back from a trip to Sedona, Arizona and um right. I was fascinated by Arizona is just one of the most beautiful places on earth. And uh so oops, there's the cat. I told you the cat was probably gonna join us. He hears me talking. So, uh, a lot of my friends know about Pablo. You want to hi, Pablo? You want to come say hi to Patty? She's a cat person. 
Well, he guess he said hi. <laughs> so, uh, Telly, did did you get some while you were in Sedona? Is was this a vacation, or was this partly for research for your next book? It was just vacation. Um, I I said I was going to stop writing novels, but I have two novels I've decided I want to try to merge. Um, mm-hmm. change the time period and merge two ideas together. But um, I'm still trying to figure out how to do that because I think alone they mm-hmm. wouldn't have had enough meat in them. So, Right. It'll be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm doing a workshop this um, Saturday, on, and one of the things I'm going to be talking about is the premise. And the premise of a book, has it has to be enough to – has to be strong enough to sustain – an entire book, and sometimes we have these small premises, but, you know, are we really going to read 300 pages about it? You know, your premise for, of course, you know, Tasman is this boy is wrongly accused and thrown onto a ship and taken, you know, probably, you know across the ocean. That's a pretty strong premise. Um, and then, of course, with um, uh, the book I read, uh, Letters to Follow, you know, Lynn has to has to you know find find a way to go to Europe and join this dance company and learn whether or not this is going to be her future. That's a pretty strong premise too. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, you might. Um, it's it's a writing is kind of an act of discovering what what your premise really is. Right, and if if you haven't got it nailed down, it's pretty hard to start writing. So. When I with Tasman, I ended up writing four. I, I like to use like a a spider web type a layout of of outlining, and I ended up with four pages of teeny tiny print because I had so much information that I wanted to include, and that way I could flip from the beginning to the middle to the end, you know, and record ideas. So um, mm-hmm. my future plan is kind of uh, nebulous right now, but I have a friend who maybe will help me because I want to write it from the perspective of, of a girl who can read lips but is deaf. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't stick to one genre. <laughs> I just kind of flop yeah. all over the place. But so, what, the other, how does your, hmm? um, like you've, you write mainly, I guess you would say so far, you've written your YA novels have all been qualified as historical so right. what is what does your research look like when you so your writing process for historical novel is different than say a um you know contemporary novel there is research involved in any kind of writing but with historical it's a, it's a slightly different so how much would you say how much time versus plotting plotting versus research is it kind of a 50-50 bargain or you know is it like 80% research well, with the ballet books, it was probably 50-50 because I had danced and I knew mm-hmm. some of the the situations I wanted to occur because I'd seen them occur around me or I'd read about them. And right. so I spent a lot of time looking at, at ballet stories because I wanted to include mm-hmm. things that mostly were, were the story-type ballets. They were easier to explain. And so I had a couple of books on those and then I did... Um, just research on anorexia and, um, you know, I read quite a few teen growing up, you know, coming of age novels to kind of give me a flavor too. Because things are different now, but but they're the same. I mean, the Mm phone was in the hall when the girls were, were together in Montana. But, you know, they still contacted their parents. They still had struggles. They just learning to to really date because they've been pretty much, you know, enclosed in dancing. So it was, you know, they're similar times, but they're different. And I was hoping that people today would have a chance to see some of those differences. Yeah, the dialogue, it felt contemporary. I mean, the same kind of bickering that kids do nowadays, you know, the big difference is they don't have social media. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, some, some things are timeless. So... Yeah, for Tasman, for 
research. I did a lot more research uh, because mm-hmm. it was at a distance. Um, I read The Fatal Shore, which is a, a classic book about the development of Australia. But then I had to look mm-hmm. up information on coal mines and the ship and the size of the ship and what they would eat and why people were sent there and about treatment of prisoners. And so it was a lot of wow. research, but it was really interesting because it, it had caught my interest and so it helped me easily to do the research. Yeah. And because you were writing for young readers, I imagine probably some of the research was a little bit probably too graphic to include in the novel. I mean, some of the the ways that prisoners, because um, I, you know, it, the premise of your book kind of reminded me a little bit of Jamie Ford's latest book where the um, this young boy is brought from China and um, it, you know, his was written for adults, of course, and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of graphic the way these kids are just like shoved into the belly of this ship and given gruel as food and, you know, they're, they're freezing cold and some of them die from different diseases. So those are things you probably have to you have to kind of avoid when you're writing a book for a kid. So I imagine there were some nightmarish things that you read about that you just thought that you knew you couldn't include. Am I correct in that? Or yeah, I um, I did include some violence because there was violence. I mean, they were mm-hmm. um, the cat and nine was was commonly used and it was used to excess. Um, and mm-hmm. so I did include some of that. I I don't use foul language in my books because that's not something I'm comfortable with. But I, I've kind of warned people that it wasn't a ballet book, um, the, and it mm-hmm. did have some violence, but that it was it was realistic, and it, I don't think I overdid it. I think there was enough there to give people the understanding that it was a it was a pretty brutal time, and people were were treated mm-hmm. more as animals than human beings. Yeah. Well, now it makes me want to read it. I'll, maybe I'll get it back from the station I loaned it to. But, uh, you know, finding the time is the thing. Oh, it looks like we have a caller. So uh, let me go ahead and uh, find out who we, who we have here. Hello, you're uh, on the Young Adult Cafe. With whom am I speaking? Hello? Oops, I guess you call it the caller. Didn't want to talk to us. Oh, well. Um... Okay, my next question has to do with, I think you had um, you'd mentioned that you work with uh, somebody else, like another writer. Do you have other writers, like a writing group, um, or do you generally have a first reader before you um, start sending these out? I guess you'd say it's a two-part question because, you know, do you, how many drafts do you write before you even let anybody look at it? Uh, well, with with Tasman, which is I had taken it to a group I was in, and so they were there as I was developing the story, and then we did a process that uh, Darcy Patterson has. It's called the Shrinking Manuscript, where they read the entire manuscript and made comments to me, and then I ended up taking a like two and a half months after I'd completely finished the book and revised it of going over their suggestions. And Mm. then I revised it again. So it it went through several revisions, you know, trying to add details where I needed and taking out things that were redundant. But um, after that, I pretty much depended on a couple of people as final readers. And then I had um, an editor who went through it with a fine tooth comb. So it's, it's pretty well organized, I hope. Well, that good. Tell me a little bit about the shrinking manuscript process. I've never heard of this. So what what does this entail? Well, what Darcy Patterson has done is it's for novel. It's called Novel Metamorphosis. It's her book. And she suggests that you um, shrink all the pages of the whole book. I just shrunk the first page of each chapter. But as people read them, then they evaluated the, the five strongest chapters and the five chapters that needed the most work. And so then you, we laid out, I put like first page, I had like 20 some chapters, so I just had 25 pages laid out. And then I had, they sent me their information, and I marked 
which people thought, you know, these were strong and these were li- needed work. And then it, you could kind of see a pattern. And, you know, sometimes it, it starts strong and then there's a dip and then it builds mm-hmm. and then there's another dip. It was just, it was just whatever they felt um, that they were the, were the ones that, that qualified for strongest or needed most work. And that gives you an interesting thing. And plus you had, I had eight people reading my manuscript. So I got all kinds of different feedback, people who are really into sentence structure, people who are really into just the general uh, arc of even a chapter. So I got all kinds of feedback, which was absolutely fantastic. It let me see what a lot of different readers might take away or want in a book. So Mm -hmm. it was really pretty powerful. And can you do the same thing for the other people in the group? Yes, only only one other person did it. Um, you know, you had to have your whole manuscript done and edited, you know, by yourself mm-hmm. um, before okay. you could do that. And most of them were not at that point in their writing. So, oh, okay. But it was fun. I enjoyed but, it. But all of the people in this group are writers, and are they all <clears throat> are they all people in the same genre, or they're just writers and they kind of know what to look for with. Right. They were all There were people who wrote for um, children's magazines, people who wrote adult novels, people who wrote short stories, um, uh, people who kind of dabbled. So, you know, it was a really wide assortment of people, but all of them um, were really into helping each other in editing and making constructive comments and questioning things. So it's very helpful to have a group. I don't, I could ever write a, a book alone. You need that feedback. I think mm-hmm. that everybody does to make sure you've covered your bases because you may see something, but it may only be in your mind. Maybe you didn't get it on the page. Right. Yeah. It, it's true. I have a critique group I work with you know, generally, if all three of the other people in my group say, um, you know, this is a this is a problem, then I figure, okay, this is a problem then. <laughs> Sometimes you can take it or leave somebody else's advice, but if everybody in the critique group has a problem with a particular scene or character, then you know, okay, I got to oh, yes. fix that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, and, yeah, that's, that's oh, a really good way of doing it. Now, do you... Um, is this an online group, or are these people you actually meet face-to-face? These were real human beings. It was so much fun <laughs> because you got to get caught up not. with what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. they, they weren't just pluses and minuses on a keyboard. Yeah, it was it's yeah. great. I really miss them. The group dissolved because the person who was the leader um, um, became very active in, in promoting her books nationally. Um, and uh-huh. was was doing really well nationally, so she couldn't lead the group anymore. But we tried for a while, but then, you know, uh, without that unifying person there, it, it was more difficult yeah. to keep it going. And nobody else wanted to pick up the slack and lead the group. Well, I, I don't think that it was that. It was just a matter of of their interests. Um, that kind of became so diverse, and some of them actually weren't writing because of situations with family and so on. So mm-hmm. it just was kind of a natural decline. Uh, everyone left yeah. feeling good about each other. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, I think it's as a writer, it's really important to find a critique group where people are at the same level and they have the same kind of, you know, the same interest in publishing. And, uh, you know, I've been in several groups where, you know, some of them are just beginning writers and, they can't give me the level of critique that I need, and they also maybe not be receptive to the kind of brutal critique that I give, you know. So, you know, I'm really comfortable with the group I'm with now because we are brutal with each other, but we're making each other better. So, Right, and uh, I think the first time you get that brutal critique, it just crushes you, but then you realize that the people – are there to support you and, you know, you just say thank you and go on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've all, all of us have been published before. So we've all been through the rejection process and, you know, we're trying to, I guess you'd say we're paving the way for editors 
because they're going to be brutal, you know. And um, so if we're if we do the pre-brutal, then the editors are going to say, "Oh, this is great." So, oh, it looks like our caller is calling back. Let me see if they're they're not shy this time. So, um, hello, you're on the Young Adult Cafe. Um, I'm with whom am I? Speaking? Hi, Patty. It's Gail, and I'm in. Oh, in- hi, Gail. Hi, I'm really enjoying your interview. And as you know, I was in on Tasman from the beginning. And Oops, so we're getting an echo. Do you have your phone on speaker? Gail? Yes, I don't know. Yeah, if you could turn if you can turn the speaker off, we're getting a little bit of an echo. That'd be great. The speaker is the speaker is not on. I don't know what's going on. Oh, okay. Okay. Just a moment. Let maybe me make sure I'm in my maybe your mirror your computer, that we're getting a I little am. bit of an echo. Now, is that better That's now? That's much better. Is it better you. now? Thank you, Gail. I'm away from the yeah, computer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, as I said, I was in on Tasman from the beginning and have followed it with great interest and been to lots of Patty's um, reading readers and really looking forward to reading it. I bought it, but I haven't yet read it, but I'm... Looking forward to that. Great. I know she worked well, very hard on that. this and did a lot of research, and it's been great. So, Gail, I want to ask you: so have you read parts of Tasman <clears throat> as it was being developed, or you just yes, are, yes, okay, yes, and <clears throat> you're a writer yourself? Uh, yes, I'm. Um, I've written a children's book that's I'm working on. All right. Um, did you have another question for Patty? or No, that's all. To... I just wanted to say I'm listening okay. and enjoying Good. it, and Good. it's been a real fun to be part of this adventure. Right. <laughs> Thanks. Well, okay. I really appreciate so, you calling in. Oh, not at all. Thank you. All right. Enjoy this beautiful Bye. day out there. All righty. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Gail is really typical of all the people that were in that group because, like I say, mm-hmm. we were all very supportive of each other. But, you know, we didn't hold our punches either. Uh, we, we, right. we had disagreements about what should be or shouldn't be there. And then, of course, it's always up to the author to make that decision. But it's people like Gail that, you know, provide a lot of support that, that keep you writing because you know that if you need help or you need to bounce something off someone, that they'll be there for you. So. Thanks to people like Gail. You know, that's the thing with the writing community I've found is most of the <clears throat> most of us are very generous with each other because we've all been through the shredding process and um <laughs> we know that the the odds are stacked against us. So I've found even big name writers, I would say probably ninety five percent of the writers I've met are very generous people. There's a few who, you know, have their noses in the air, they don't have the time of day for you, but uh, just like the one, you know, at the social we had the other night, we had two very well-known writers, and they were just so generous with their time to come to that um, social event that we had for Epic Writers, and, you know, they're both well-known and and lovely people, and um, in fact, I interviewed Kit Bakke, uh, I interviewed her last week, and, uh, you know, they they're they're willing to share their experiences to help make, make it to pave the way to make it easier for the next writer coming along. And we're not competing with each other. We're holding each other up. So that's kind of what right. we're doing. I think that's what keeps a lot of people writing, you know, because there is that support. Plus, if you're not writing, you're not going to have that connection. So you keep writing so you can keep being involved with those people that you, you treasure as, as uh, people that value what you do. Mm-hmm. And it is hard work. Um, you know, I won't, I've gotten to where I don't write reviews if, well, partly because I don't have time, but, you know, if, if I read somebody's book and I don't like it, I'm not going to give it a bad review. I, I'm just not going to review it because I know how hard it is to write a book, even a bad book. I've written many bad books, but we'll never see the light of day. And it's hard work. It is It is work. It's, you know, it's not fun. And <laughs> You know, the, it's, it's, it takes a community of writers in order to make us realize, you know, in order to make us create something decent. And um, 
So kudos to you for putting yourself out there to eight eight people, eight other people who were slinging arrows at you, but obviously it paid <laughs> off because you got a book out of it. Yeah, well, you know, you need that kind of a support system. And when people say, oh, I just edited myself, I, I kind of cringe and say, you might want to reconsider that because mm-hmm. you need to know what different members of your audience are feeling and thinking when they read it. Because, like I said earlier, you know, as soon as you think it's in there, but it's really just in your head, it isn't on the page. Yeah, so. yeah it's like in oh. our job is to put it on the page. It's like, oh, that never occurred to me. And what... You know, one thing I think Stephen King said, I'm paraphrasing him badly um, on his book on writing, but, he, you know, you write with the you write with the door closed, but then you kind of, when you're revising, and that's when you, and that's when you have your critique partners, when you're revising, you revise with the door open. So your draft, your first draft, you're generally going to just write that thing. You're going to write it on your own because you, you're trying to just get the story down. But then at that point, you may not even know what the story is about. And sometimes you have other people who tell you what your story is about. <laughs> and you realize, oh, well, maybe maybe I need to emphasize this more because maybe that is a stronger premise or these are better themes. So, but yeah, we, you know, we know the story inside our heads, but sometimes what's in our head doesn't come off on the page. So there you go. You got to critique people. So, so, well, I usually um, know the title of my book, and I usually know the beginning and where I want it to end. But sometimes I'm not sure how to get to the ending. So, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I get stalled, and I have to figure it out. Like uh, one of Ian's big problems um, at Port Arthur, it took me like a month to figure out how to solve it because no one had. I don't want to give you the line but no one had done what he was wanted to try to do so it took me forever mm-hmm. to try to figure out a way that hadn't been tried by real convicts so oh, i did figure yeah. it out finally <laughs> yeah and you know even even though it's fiction you have to have whatever that character does there has to be credibility so mm-hmm. even if it's even if it's science fiction or fantasy there still has to be that element of credibility and in your case, it's a historical novel. So the <clears throat> the whole idea of them sending prisoners to Australia and Tasmania happened. And this character is fictional. You have to keep it accurate. Right. And make sure that this is something that somebody in that situation would do. Otherwise, if you lose credibility, then people aren't going to, they're not going to read your books because they're going to say, they're going to, because that people, Readers will find things. They have fine-tooth combs out there, and they'll they'll <laughs> they'll text you, or they'll you know they'll make a comment somewhere on Goodreads or Amazon and call you out on it. So that's true. I mean, you just have to take those with a grain of salt. Yeah. So yeah, and know that you did what you thought was right. <laughs> yeah, but you know you're. I mean, having having yours out there to a group of readers is a good idea. Um, how long does it take you to write, I would say probably to write um, not only the draft, but maybe, you know, from beginning to final draft? How long does it take you to write a book? Um, it's it's almost, it could be almost two years. With Casman, there was a big lapse because I started that, um, just after I wrote 84 Ribbons, the first trilogy book, because I was mm-hmm. only writing one book. And so right. I had to, then I was working on Tasman, and then I realized I hadn't finished Marta's story or Lynn's story, so I wrote the two more books. So it was like 10 years in between. But oh, wow. um, it was always, you know, I was always looking at it and, and trying to, you know, get more information. But actually, probably if I put just the time together, it was about two years. Now, were you still teaching when you started writing for kids? No. I didn't start any writing until I retired. Ooh. I'd worked in the classroom, you know, and written plays and things for the kids and, of course, newsletters and and then my training materials that I ended up putting into a book. But I hadn't uh, done any writing at all. So it was became my 
second career after I retired from teaching. And had you planned on this, or is this something that, you know, after you retired, you're like, well, I'm, you know, I don't want to go back to teaching, but there's something I need to do. How, Actually, I have a friend. Right? Yeah, I have a friend who's a, a fairly well-known Christian writer, Lorraine Snelling, and she was having um, a summer writing conference at her, at her home, and I got a hold of her, and she said, well, you have to send me something. So I wrote part of 84 Ribbons and sent it to her because she wanted to see if, if where my writing skill was, which was to me was right. zero. But she said, I, <laughs> you know, I could hold my own with the group. So I went, right. and uh, that was the beginning of my writing career after I'd retired. Okay. So I, I give her a lot of credit for getting me started. But now I want to take some breaks, and it's hard to, because once you start writing, it's hard to walk away. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, well, you become obsessed, you know, with a character, which is like your, your ballet books. I mean, you hadn't meant to write Lynn into a book, but she probably wouldn't leave you alone. So you had to write her. She, yeah. She didn't. I mean, it's like I have to tell her story because we're seeing Marta, who was pretty shy, and here's Mm -hmm. Lynn, who's really out comparison. And she had a lot to say, and so I didn't even know what was going to happen. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. her relationship with her parents was so tentative. Um, I knew part of it, but then I didn't realize some of the things she would do as she was moving to New York to stop and visit um, with another dancer's mom and stuff. So it, it, it's interesting how the characters tell you what they want you to do, and sometimes you just hate to, to have them go through trauma, but if they don't have problems, what's the point of the book? <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, that's that's why we read, you know, we, we, we want them to have a problem on, you know, every chapter. It's like, well, you know, they're going to have a problem here, but then... We can solve it, but then there's a new problem. <laughs> but that's kind of like life, too. I mean, every day we solve one thing and then we create another one. So Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, we're just about out of time, so um, I'd like you to talk about um, some advice since I do have a lot of young writers and older, you know, writers in general who listen to the show. What kind of advice do you have for anybody who is listening and thinking, you know, I, I could write a book. I've got some ideas. So what are what are some things, that, advice that you wished you'd gotten when you started this whole writing venture? Well, the typical advice you get is write what you know. But I think mm-hmm. it's, it's more than that. It's write what you know and write what you want to know. If you want Ooh, to know like more that. about something and you have the idea of a story – and you're willing to do the research, I think that's half the fun. I love to do research. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's important. I think trying to stick to one idea, you know, get one working and, and stick with it for a while. Maybe you're not going to write it right away, but keep taking notes on it and keep jotting down ideas and, and just keep, you know, um, even if you're working diligently on a job that pays you some money, keep that, that, that subject line going in the background and try to have some time every day to write for maybe even yeah. an hour. I tend to write about four hours a day or more That's about, in the yeah, morning. I write three to four, <laughs> yeah. Generally, I find I'm not a morning person, but I find that I get more work done in the morning. I'm less distracted, maybe because um, <clears throat> there aren't as many people around. So I, I do get more done in the morning. So... So anyway, yeah. well, Patty, I and, totally enjoyed talking to you, and um, you know, and I, I enjoy working with you on the Epic Board, and um, I look forward to, um, you know, whatever next project you have coming out. So, um, and I want to well, thank you for being a guest today. And well, I appreciate the chance to talk with you and with people that are on the other side of that radio so hopefully um, Mm -hmm. they will have a chance to find some of my books and see what they think yeah yeah your books are available pretty much anywhere like in this area of course most of the bookstores carry it but it can be ordered on amazon or barnes and noble um 
And it, is right. it available through Ingram? So any any indie bookstore could order it as well. Is it is your um, the publisher is fairly small, but Tendril Press are, yeah. are they on an Ingram? <clears throat> no, they're on Baker and Taylor. Oh, Baker and Taylor. Okay. Well, I think uh-huh. that's a pretty good. You know, they could probably right. order it because Independent Bookstore Day is this coming up this Saturday. So I'm going to have to order online because I'm teaching a writing workshop that day. So I'm not going to actually physically go into a bookstore, but uh, but I'm going to order. Oh. Um, I may I may go to. Uh, I think what I'll do is I'll call Never Ending Bookshop in uh, Bothell. It's a small local, and just give her my credit card number over the phone, and or get a book from them. I've got a, a list of books that I I would I've been looking to get some young adult titles. So that's yes, what well, I'm calling. Thank you I'm for having me. All right. <laughs> All right. And good well, luck with your workshop. I, Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I really enjoyed talking to you. And I'll talk to you soon in person. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. Okay. Uh, We've been talking with uh, Patty Eager, and she's a Seattle-based writer, and we've been talking about her latest book, Tasman, and her ballet series. And um, and I want to thank Patty for joining us today and also our caller named Gail who is one of uh, Patty's writing partners. Uh, next week, we are going to have um, Entangled Teen author Julie Cross, and uh, her book is uh, on thin ice, and that's an interesting book. It's um, kind of a, I guess you'd say, Beartown meets, uh, oh, Dirty Dancing. I guess that's the way I could describe it. And uh, I haven't set up a time with the author yet, but I will let you know. But uh, thank you for listening today. This is a copyrighted podcast solely owned by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. And uh, until next week, this has been the Young Adult Cafe. My name is Laura Moe, and have a wonderful day out there.